0: Our scripture reading today is from Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. It's Acts 17, 1 through 9. Paul at Thessalonica. Now, when they had traveled through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And according to Paul's custom, he went to them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus who I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas along with a large number of the God-fearing Greeks and a number of the leading women. But the Jews becoming jealous and taking along some wicked men from the marketplace formed a mob and set the city in an uproar and attacking the house of Jason They were seeking to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, they began dragging Jason and some of the brethren before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have upset the world have also come here. And Jason has welcomed them, and they all act contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. They stirred up the crowd and the city authorities who heard these things. And when they had received a pledge from Jason and the others, they released them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Amen. Thanks be to God. This is a unique experience. Usually when I preach through my laptop or phone, I can't see you guys. In fact, when I preach at Cornerstone, I usually can't see your faces this well. I mean, I can see your face, but you're kind of like a little distant. So this is like... A lot more, and you've been wearing masks. So I would really feel comfortable if everyone would just put on their masks. Just kidding! Don't do that. But um, it's good to see you all. It's good to be here together in person, sort of on Zoom. Um, But we're going to go ahead and and talk about this passage, Acts chapter seventeen. And uh, I don't know if there's a way to like stick around afterwards for anyone wants to talk about it um, offline, but uh, we can try to do something like that. let me pray and then we'll start. Lord, thanks for today. You know, this is uh, an experiment. Never thought I'd be uh, leading church service on Zoom, streamed to Facebook, recorded for the website later. Uh, you are uh, It seems like you are a God who um, likes to laugh. So uh, hopefully we can laugh with you today, Lord, and just kind of go for it. Please, uh, Bless this message, Lord. Would your people, your church, Christ's bride, hear what you want us to hear? Would we hear what you want us to hear? And just, you know, filter out the rest, Lord. Uh, We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So maybe some of you remember this last summer when the Broadway musical Hamilton came out on Disney Plus. Uh, Like we actually signed up for Disney Plus just to watch that uh that that show did anyone else watch it just you can if you want you can raise your hand okay a couple people raised no no alan i I can see you shaking your head uh well it was really good i really enjoyed it uh would recommend it um i guess elijah watched it there uh but we watched it this summer and uh it's about alexander hamilton and all the songs are brilliant but there was one that was kind of sticking out in my mind as i prepared Uh, the message uh, for this week, uh, it's when it's about the Battle of Yorktown. Uh, So Washington is trying to defeat General Cornwallis, and he sends Lafayette and Alexander Hamilton to capture uh, two key positions. And the musical, uh, as they go into battle, I'm sure they didn't do this in real life, (laughs) they sing about what they're trying to accomplish. Uh, And their goal is to create a new nation, right? Uh, to win their freedom and to uh, create a new uh, a nation, a new uh, place. Uh, and they call it flipping the world upside down. So they sing till the world turns upside down till the world turns upside down. And uh, in true, true life, Alexander Hamilton and his men actually charged a quarter of a mile without loaded guns. Uh, so they could take their enemies by surprise because they didn't want a shot accidentally going off. Uh, It was pretty bold. And when they win the Revolutionary War, they sing the world turned upside down, the world turned upside down. So they had a goal to win freedom and turn the world upside down. And they did it. They did it through war, through violence, through diplomacy, through politics. Uh, They overpowered their enemy. And that's how our nation won freedom. And we certainly are the beneficiaries of that moment in time. Uh, The world was flipped upside down from what it had been to what it became. By the end of our passage today, something similar happens. The world is flipping upside down and the people in the world recognize what's happening. They don't really like it. They're much less gracious than Gilbert the giraffe. Or is that, was he he a giraffe? He looked like a giraffe. Okay, Gilbert the giraffe. Maybe he'll make a a reoccurring appearance. (laughs) They shout about Paul and his associates, these men who have turned the world upside down. I know, I think Alan's version read a little bit differently, but I really like that imagery of flipping the world upside down. And they, the early Christians, Paul and his team, they didn't do it through war. They didn't do it through violence, diplomacy, or politics. They did it by telling people about Jesus and really telling people about like what Jesus means for our world and for our reality, and when we really get who Jesus is and what He came to do and how He flips everything upside down, it it really is quite startling. And so these early Christians, they told each, uh, they told they told others. Paul told uh, the people of the community about their King, and He was an upside-down King. And then they lived like upside down followers, like an upside down church. So today I want to talk about three things. I want to talk about the upside down king. I want to talk about the upside down kingdom. And then I want to talk about our upside down church. When I think we, when we really get what the gospel is, it, it should turn our, our whole world upside down. And that begins by focusing on who Christ is, who Jesus is, that upside down king. Now, if you guys remember, we've been in Acts for a while. We looked at the early christians peter and john preaching in jerusalem and then kind of made our transition to paul who was originally saul persecuting the church and then he became a follower of christ then saul uh, paul and uh, barnabas go on a missionary journey right to share the gospel uh and then they return to jerusalem there's a big council big debate and then they go out on another missionary journey so we're centered right here in that second missionary journey and this time they've They've traveled through Asia, across the Aegean and in, Macedonia and they're in Northern Greece right now in Thessalonica. They're in this kind of strategic trade city. Uh, it's on this, the shores of the Aegean. It's all along the Via Ignatian uh, Roman Highway. Uh, this, this long highway that provided uh, you know, the military to, uh, to move quickly, but also allowed for quite a bit of trade. And when Paul arrives in Thessalonica, he goes there and he preaches in the synagogue. He tells the Jews that Jesus is the Christ and that the Messiah has come and that he suffered and died. Now, we've been learning in our New Testament survey class that like, there was a lot of expectations about the Messiah, right? And I think we've probably all heard it a million times, but maybe not. That the messiah was expected to be this kind of conquering military hero who was going to flip the world upside down through violence through war through diplomacy and through politics but jesus does something quite different so act 17 verses 2 through 3 says this paul reasoned with them from the scriptures explaining and proving that it was necessary for the christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying this jesus whom i proclaim to you is the christ so, Christ is just the Greek uh, word for Messiah. Uh, so, Jesus is the promised king. He's this people, that, uh, he's this person that the people were hoping for and expecting. And according to the Hebrew scriptures, the, the Messiah was supposed to be uh, a king uh, from David's line who was going to rescue the people of Israel, but he doesn't rescue them in the way the people expect. See, over time, the people thought, you know, this is about conquering when really this was about healing this is about spiritual renewal through re-establishing the people's relationship with God not about freeing the people from their Roman oppressors and if we look at the scripture we actually see that yeah the Messiah was going to suffer in fact the, the scriptures talk about it uh, Genesis 22 maybe you remember that it's the story of Abraham right he's nearly he, he nearly sacrifices his son Isaac and that points forward to the God who would sacrifice his son on the cross. How about Isaiah 53, the suffering servant, right? It prophesied that the Messiah would be this one who would be high and lifted up, right? Who would be on a cross. He would be despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. How about Psalm 22? Read that recently. It's it's like the Isaiah 53 of the Psalms. It talks about Jesus suffering on the cross and he actually prayed and recited Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me as he hung on the cross? And if we look at like just the big story of like the Old Testament, the Bible, it's like these patterns of uh, of, of people like straying from God and, and going into to darkness and death. And then yet God sort of, renews them and restores them in incredible ways. And so the story of the Messiah and the story of Jesus and the story of Jesus's people is that we would follow this pattern. And this didn't make much sense to those Jewish believers, those, those Jewish people in Thessalonica. Some got it, stopped, some like listened. And I mean, like really like tried to hear what the message was. Others just got angry. <laughs> uh, they, ga- they gathered up all the rough characters in town and they started a riot. And they started shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down and have come here also. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And see, they're actually saying something quite true. <laughs> there is another king. Uh, and his name is not Caesar. One of the popular declarations of this time is that Caesar is Lord. Right? So whenever you read that in the New Testament, that Jesus is Lord or Christ is Lord, that's a direct contradiction with the world and its powers, right? It's like saying Jesus is president or Jesus is emperor or, or something along those lines, right? It's saying not that other person or those other people, it's Jesus. He's the one in charge. He's the true king, and so Jesus does threaten their power, but they don't really understand how he threatens their power because he doesn't want to overthrow their kingdoms. He wants to establish his kingdom. And I like this one author who, who put it that Jesus comes not to exercise power over, but to exercise power under. Jesus comes to exercise power. It's not one of, dominion and uh, overthrowing others it's one of coming under others through sacrifice he doesn't come through war or violence or diplomacy or politics he comes through self-sacrifice suffering and the cross and so this is our king this is who we believe at, in as christians uh, and this king came as an upside down king to establish an upside down kingdom and so as we look kind of more broadly at what jesus came to do the kind of community he came to establish we recognize that we as his community are supposed to kind of follow the same pattern uh, the same pattern of a self-sacrificial suffering savior so the, the greeks and the romans and many of the Jews understood the kingdoms of the world and how the kingdoms of the world operate and if you watch the news or listen to podcasts or check out you know websites you understand how the world operates too right it's all about who can gain the most power and the most authority and to, to kind of get things to go their way that's power over but jesus exercises power under uh, this the same author uh, talks about kind of contrasts, right? A contrast between uh, the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of God. And the first one is that there's a contrast of trust, of like, who do you trust in? It's the kingdom of the world, it trusts in the power of the sword, while the kingdom of God trusts in the power of the cross. The kingdom of the world advances by exercising power over, while the kingdom of God advances by exercising power under. So in our story, if we're looking back at kind of Paul and what's happened here, what do the non-Christians do? What do the people do when they want to shut the gospel down? They get a mob. Uh, it says they actually like went and found like all the bad characters in town. So their goal is not to be righteous or holy or to honor God. Their goal is just to get to get them to stop. Stop talking about this Jesus. Paul trusts in the Messiah. They trust in Caesar. They trust in their own ability to, to make things happen. And so we as believers, when we trust in anything besides Christ, then we're kind of following that same pattern. So there's an encouragement here, right? If we're to trust the suffering Savior, then we don't trust in things like economic stability or political victories or personal safety or kind of any aspect that this kingdom of the world has to offer us. But Jesus is the upside down king, right? And he's showing us what an upside-down kingdom. So there's a contrast of trust, but there's also a kind of a contrast of aims, of goals. See, the kingdom of the world seeks to control behavior while the kingdom of God seeks to transform lives from the inside out. That's such an easy pattern to fall into, right? I know as a parent, it's so much easier to, uh, to just control the behavior, right? Instead of really trying to transform the heart. And yet the kingdom of God is focused more on transforming hearts than it is behavior. The kingdom of the world is rooted in preserving, if not advancing its own self-interest and its own will, why the kingdom of God is centered exclusively on carrying out God's will, even if this requires sacrificing our own interests. Paul wanted to change their hearts by telling them about the Savior who died for them. Uh, and that's what we need to hear too, this message that there's a Savior who died for us, who suffered for us so that we could live. But they didn't want things in Thessalonica to change. They liked how things were. It was comfortable. They were in power they had it good they had to preserve what they had not not seek the truth uh, and so they chase paul out of town and and paul's message this gospel message is so threatening to the kingdom of this world that they actually chase him out of the next town too so we're going to read about berea next week and how paul get has to leave berea's because they chase him out they don't want anyone near them who's going to destabilize their power structure There's also a contrast of scopes. So the kingdom of this world is tribal in nature. It's heavily invested in defending, if not advancing its own people group, its own nation, its own ethnicity, its own state, its own religion, its own ideologies, and its own political agenda. But the kingdom of God is universal. It is centered on simply loving as God loves. It is centered on people living for the sole purpose of replicating the love of Christ Jesus to all peoples at all times and all places without condition. That is so different than how the world operates. See, the Jews and the Greeks and the Romans knew that this this was sort of an insurrection, right? An insurrection uh, of love. And they knew that uh, if, if Caesar heard that there was another king who was being preached in their town, And they did nothing about it. They knew that there would be hell to pay. So it's much safer to push aside what Jesus offers, to push aside the good news of of this king and just kind of keep things how they are. It's easy to kind of invest in our tribe or our kingdom or our structures instead of looking to the kingdom of God and what he wants to do. There's also a contrast of responses See, the kingdom of the world is a, kind of this tit-for-tat kingdom, right? An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's how the kingdom of God does not operate. That's how the kingdom of the world operates. The kingdom of God carries the cross, not the sword. We never return evil for evil, violence for violence. Instead, we turn the other cheek. We go that second mile. That second mile. We love our enemies and we pray for them. And instead of responding evil with evil, we respond to evil with love. And so how can we do that as a community? How can we model what it means to be a kingdom of God place in a kingdom of the world realm? So, I, you know, one of the ways that I was really thinking about this, I was like, oh, I don't really want to bring this up. <laughs> I don't really want to bring this up because it's not fun, but I'm going to do it. And we can always talk about it later, right? But So we just had this very interesting conversation at our business meeting about safety and security. I thought it was a really good conversation to have, a really healthy conversation. And we, you know, decided on some good things. We talked about it more from like a practical standpoint than we did from a theological standpoint. And so I think it's interesting to take a step back and say, okay, how how does the suffering servant, how does the suffering Messiah help us reframe this discussion? How can we view it through a kind of a theological lens and what the Bible teaches about the kingdom of God? How can we align ourselves as a community closer to that, right? We talked about kind of carrying guns and arming ourselves. We decided not to do that. Uh, But this question ties into what type of kingdom are we a part of, right? If King Jesus is a military king who's come to overthrow the powers of the world through violence or diplomacy or war or politics, then yes, let's arm up. (laughs) But Jesus says this, he says, if anyone would come after me, Let him deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Wow. That is a different kind of kingdom, isn't it? It's a very uncomfortable kingdom because it says we have to risk ourselves. That we can't protect ourselves like the world does. That we can't bear the sword but we must bear the cross. And so some of these questions that we wrestle with, really this is just a wrestling with us, is how do we operate more like the kingdom of God and less like the kingdom of the world? And it comes down to really real things that put us at risk. And yet I'm proud of us for the decisions that we made, the path that we are taking. Now the kingdom of God, the last one here is a contrast of battles. See, the kingdom of God believes in an earthly enemy, right? Uh, you can just watch the news or, or uh, maybe listen to people talk, right? There's always an enemy, right? Maybe, maybe it's even on Facebook, right? right? That person that you just unfriended, they're your enemy. Or that nation or those people or that, that, that group of, of voters that I don't like. But the kingdom of God says that we have no earthly enemies, that our true enemy is not flesh and blood. We only have neighbors. We only have neighbors. This is flipping the world upside down. <laughs> this is truly radical. This is truly different than anything the world believes. But that's what makes Christianity so unique and so special. And so as we look at the story of the king, the Messiah, the one who suffered, it, it shakes our world. You know, we remember last week there, you know, in our passage, we talked about this earthquake, right? And the jail cell opened and Paul could have fled. He could have rescued himself. He could have gotten out of trouble. And yet he stayed. He risked himself so that he could see what God might do, how God might transform the jailer's heart. He didn't exert his rights, but showed his enemy compassion. And that's what the kingdom of God looks like. So Jesus is the upside-down king of the upside-down kingdom. We're, Lord willing, an upside-down church. That's what Jesus is doing here in Westford and Kingsborough and and, uh, Chelmsford and Lawrence, Dunstable, Littleton. Jesus is creating upside-down people, and he is building his upside-down church. So the question for each one of us is, how are we gonna live as upside down people this week? How are we gonna operate in such a way that the world says, huh, that's different. <laughs> that's different. I'm not used to that, All right? Is it, is it responding in love when others respond in condemnation? Is it responding in grace and hope when others respond in fear? Is it when someone slaps you on one cheek, you turn the other and say, here you go, have another, you know, sometimes my sermons overlap with what I'm studying in my own life. And, uh, and actually this overlaps a lot with what we were going through in a new Testament survey, because there's this story in Matthew chapter 20, where, uh, James and John's mother, Salome, she comes to Jesus and she says, you know, I would really like it if my sons could sit at your left hand and your right hand. And this is before Jesus enters into Jerusalem. This is right before that. So it's like she's saying, hey, you're about to go in and establish your kingdom in Jerusalem. You know, what about these two could be, you know, good co-rulers with you. They, they would be a great second in command, right? She, she had her mindset locked on the kingdom of the world. And Jesus just kind of flips it upside down. He says, you know that the rules of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever shall be first among you must be your slave." even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus gave his life as a ransom for you, for me. And now he calls us to give our lives to others, to serve instead of being served. And Jesus actually tells uh, James and John that they're going to drink of the same cup that he drinks. In other words, they're going to suffer too. You guys might remember, The second martyr in the New Testament is James, right? Jesus predicted his death, said it would come. John doesn't die a martyr's death, but he certainly suffers. They do this for the kingdom of God because they're following their upside down king. But the hope of the gospel doesn't end with an upside down kingdom right? That we will just suffer into eternity perpetually forever and ever. So we have an opportunity right now to be putting the world right side up. And, I, and Andy actually announced uh, one small way we as a church are trying to turn the world up right side up. And that's actually what Monique's doing uh, to organize meals for Mary and to organize rides. Thank you for doing that, Mary, uh, Monique. Because you're trying to flip the world right side up, right? And it, it looks different. It looks confusing, right? Why would we sacrifice our time to, to run someone around? Why would we go through the hassle of creating a very sort of specific meal? It's because we believe in a, a suffering Savior who did lots of things for us, who laid it all down for us. And so that's one small way that we can be flipping the world right side up in our community, as the church body and we know that one day jesus is going to take all these little moments of flipping the world right side up and he's going to just carry them into eternity (laughs) he's going to count them Uh, and sometimes we can't see the eternal value of the things we do in this life but anytime we act like his kingdom instead of the world's kingdom that's going to count and it's going to count forever and Jesus does promise he is going to flip the world right side up. Paul later writes this letter to the, the Thessalonians and he says this, he says, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Sort of in urban Christian lingo, this passage has become about a rapture where all the Christians disappear and don't have to go through hardship. I don't believe that. I don't think it's true. I think Christians suffer, but there's this end of suffering when one day Jesus will come back and we will go into the clouds to greet him and then we'll kind of return in victory. This kind of reverse triumphant entry back into our world into the, the new heavens and the new earth, the new Jerusalem. And it will be that moment when God has flipped everything right side up. There will be no more tears. There will be no more crying. There will be hope and grace. There will be no more swords. They will be beaten into plowshares. And the the way of the cross will be completely fulfilled and 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 complete it'll be over with because the way the cross will have turned into eternal life forever and ever and so one day jesus will turn the upside down church right side up and if you don't know this upside down king uh, you can just simply through repenting and believing him and saying lord i need you to turn my world upside down let's pray Lord, we need you. We need you to flip our world upside down. We need you to help us understand how different the kingdom of God really is. It's so different than this world, Lord. Help us to operate according to the kingdom, not to set up little kingdoms, but to work for your kingdom. Lord, we love you and we need you. We're excited to be a part of what you're doing in our world. Help us to live like upside down disciples this week.